Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Basachat Sukkah, Daf Kaf Gimel So I must acknowledge my what I did yesterday that was remiss. Namely, I was so pleased to read the mission at the very end of the daf, and I did not continue to the next daf, which has the end of the mission. So I'm going to begin with the end of the mission from yesterday, right? Which I'll just refresh your memories. Uh, right, the it was the case of somebody who makes a sukkah on the top of a wagon or on a ship or and then on the top of a tree, right, or on a camel, right. All of these cases are, and this is the this is all the the cases that are in the Mishnah. And the question of how many walls of the sukkah are you know somehow connected to the ground or how many of them are up on the I don't know what device or vehicle or whatever that the that the sukkah is on, and then the Mishnah does what it sometimes does, which is it provides us with a summary principle. You can go into one of these things on Yontov or not, and we had just a, a general principle which I spoke about. But here it is in the text of the mission itself, right? That anything that if you if you would remove that tree, right, that the sukkah would be able to stand up by itself. It's not depend on the tree for support. Then that is a kosher sukkah, and if it is a kosher sukkah, then even when the tree is still there, that is. I'm sorry, it would be a kosher sukkah regardless. But the question of whether you can go into it on yantif depends on it being able to be standing on its own without the tree. And if so, then going into it on yantif, using it on yantif, is acceptable. It does not violate any halachot. So the Gemara wants to comment. I mean, does comment? Here we go. Me, mani manitin. Whose opinion is this Mishnah according to? Now, we've disputes over some of these details within the halachas of Sukkot to begin with. Rebbe Kivahi, it says, this is a Rebbe Kiva Mishnah. Now, we know that the preponderance of Mishnayot follow Rebbe Kiva's opinion. So by itself, that's not a surprise. The question is, what exactly is Rebbe Kiva's opinion? Titania, Hosea Sukkot Barosha Sfina, Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel, Posel, Rebbe Kiva Machshir. So exactly this case is a brighta of what if you put your sukkah on the top of a, of a ship and Rabbi Gamliel says it's unfit, that it's not kosher, and Rabbi Akiva says it is kosher. So there you go. We're talking about the case of a ship and there's Rabbi Akiva. But then, and then here we have just a wonderful narrative which is going to bear out the halacha. Maaseh, there was, it happened, right? Maaseh, the Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Akiva, shayu ba'in basina. So Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Akiva are traveling in a boat, and it's Sukkot. Why they're doing this, why they are on a, on a ship on Sukkot is unclear to me. Plan your travels better. But okay. He builds, Rabbi Akiva builds a Sukkot at the, the top of the ship. The next day, the wind blows, right? They're at sea, I guess. And the wind knocks it down. It uproots the sukkah, akarata. It, it it uproots it. It knocks over the sukkah. So Rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel says to Akiva, where is your sukkah? Which is such a, a little, like a dig, right? From, from he, Rabbi Gamliel puts, you know, puts it to Rabbi Akiva in this, in this sharp kind of way. It 
וכל לעמוד בשאינה מצויה בדיעה בשעה, כולי לא פליגי דקשירה. So Abaye, who's much later, right, Abaye is an Amora, commenting on these Tanayim, he says everybody agrees that in a case where you've got a sukkah that cannot stand up to regular wind, meaning the kind of wind that you expect to happen in the place that you are, right, then you, if the sukkah doesn't withstand that kind of wind, then it doesn't count as a sukkah. It can't even be considered a temporary residence of any kind because, because it, it doesn't stand up to the wind. But if it's able to t- stand up to the wind, even in a, you know, a usual wind on the land, then that's going to be kosher. And then the question is, what happens when you're not on the land? Wind at sea, right, in this case, is going to be somewhat different. So where do they, it says, keep lige, where they disagree, so the case is where they disagree if the sukkah could indeed withstand the land wind, the wind on the land, but it would not be able to withstand like a crazy wind, a hurricane or, or a real windstorm, which would be aligned, let's say, to the wind that you would find at sea. And then then the, this, this conversation between Rabbi Gamliel and Rabbi Kiva comes into a, a different kind of focus. Because if Rabbi Gamliel's point is that wind is the kind of wind that would be a problem anywhere, your sukkah is not a sukkah, that's one thing to say, right? That means that it would be that even if Rabbi Akiva had made that same sukkah on the land, it would have fallen down. Alternatively, Rabbi Akiva could say, no, this wind is not that strong of a wind that it would knock it down if it had been on land. It's just because I'm on the top of a boat on the top of a ship, and the top of a ship is a more precarious situation, and it's windier. Rabbi Gamliel Savar, I'm now reading inside the Gemara, Rabbi Gamliel Savar, Sukkah dirat keva ba'inan, right, so that when you have a sukkah, um, to, to be yote the mitzvah sukkah, to fulfill the mitzvah sukkah, you need to have something that counts as a permanent residence. Dirat keva, it's not the same thing as a regular house. Obviously, it's a temporary dwelling, but it has to count as a, as a full permanent residence, as it were. The yam, if you can't, if it can't withstand a regular wind on the sea, which again is going to be a stronger wind than that on land, so Rabban Gamliel says, it doesn't count for anything. I said before in, in describing what they might agree or disagree, Rabban Gamliel's position, Rabban Gamliel's position is, sorry, is that if it can't withstand a wind at sea, then you haven't made enough of a structure to be yotze the mitzvah of sukkah. Rabbi Akiva Savar, but Rabbi Akiva's whole rationale is sukkah dirat arai bayan. It's not that we need a permanent dwelling ever for the mitzvah of sukkah. We need a temporary residence. So it has to count as a residence, but it doesn't ever have to have that feel of permanence that it could just withstand anything, right? As long as it would be sturdy enough to withstand a, an expected wind on the on the ground on the dry land, then that's enough. Now there are certainly places that we know to be very very windy, and the question of what kind of sukkah do you need to build there, people I feel get they they get worried about whether the sukkah will last. They're not worried about whether the sukkah would be kosher if it did last. They're worried about if it will last at all. I I don't think I've ever considered the question that the sukkah that happens to last because the wind didn't happen to knock it down, but theoretically it doesn't really, it's not really going to withstand the heavy duty winds in certain locales. I wonder that those sukkot might not have been kosher to begin with 
um, despite the fact that they may not have fallen down. And all the more so, of course, if they did. Well, this passage is great because I think we've all experienced our own Sukkot where our Sukkot did get knocked down. And, you know, it's not super defined. I mean, I guess it is in a certain way. What is too strong of a win? Like, in other words, what's regular win and what's considered to be like above and beyond win? Well, it comes up in other areas of halacha also, right? Meaning when we talk about nezikin, we talk about damages and we talk about what kind of um, what do you have to do to protect your property or somebody else's property that you're watching, right? To make sure that you have done a full, um, that you have fully protected it, right? That you haven't been negligent. And one of those questions is exactly this, like, is are, are your items tied down, let's say, enough that a, um, a normal wind, right? An expected wind, the same formulation of ruach metuya, something that is found, something that is common, um, that it wouldn't, I don't know, uproot them or something, right? So that if, then if you have a hurricane or a tornado and your property goes flying and then it causes damage, that's already beyond what you were supposed to protect against. But if you just had a regular wind and then your property went flying, that's on you. Right. And again, I think it's interesting to always see, like this was obviously sort of an age-old sukkah question, right? Like, you know, the issue of, yes, you're building something that's a temporary structure, but yet we keep seeing this theme of the idea of keva, right? That, it, But yet at the same time needs to be able to have an element of permanence. Um, and, you know, what? where do we see that? So it's either by the materials, being with, able to withstand nature. Um, I think, you know, that theme keeps cropping up in the Gemara itself. Yes, I think that's true. Um, so I'm just going to hop down to something else later on in Amad Aleph, which is the idea of building a sukkah with an animal, right? Which is what the Mishnah talks about. And the Gemara gets into an interesting machlokas between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yehuda. Um, and I wanted to read part of this passage. It actually takes up the bulk of the daf, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, one is because I think the whole idea, this to me is, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think this is totally a boundary pushing discussion. In other words, I don't think anyone's ever seen a sukkah really built from an animal before, right? But I think they want to just- Except really... for Ano Kedumim. Ano Kedumim, they build a sukkah with an animal being a wall. Right, but I think this is really a boundary pushing uh, you know, discussion. Um, and the second piece is, is that we're going to see a couple of the same halachic concepts that we've mentioned before, or we've seen in previous you know, pop up here again. So, right? So it says, okay, who is basically the Tana of this Mishnah? Rabbi Meir, he, it's Rabbi Meir. And how do they know this? The Tanya. Now they're going to quote a Brisa. Somebody meets a sukkah on top of an animal. Rabbi Meir says it's kosher. Rabbi Yehuda says it's pasul. My Tame to Rabbi Yehuda. What's the reason for Rabbi Yehuda? So Rabbi Yehuda says, and I think this is a great understanding of this pasuk. He quotes a pasuk here from Devarim, chapter 16, verse 13, which says that you should prepare yourself or make for yourself a sukkah for seven days. That a sukkah that isn't suitable for all seven days, right, can't really be considered a sukkah. So in other words, once you build a sukkah, it can't be so temporary that it couldn't be around 
for seven days, right? And so you wouldn't be allowed to. Um, so what some of the Mepharshim explain here is, is that on the first day of Chag, right, one is not allowed to actually climb on, right? And so therefore, a sukkah made out of an animal the first day of Sukkot, you couldn't actually use because the animal itself is muksa, right? You're not allowed to climb on top of it or anything like that. So if it's not kosher for one, not allowed to be used for one of the days of Sukkot, then, you know, needs to be something that could be used for all seven days. And that's Rabbi Yehuda's understanding. For Rabbi Meir, but for Rabbi Meir, who holds that it's kosher, Hanami right? By Torah law, this sukkah it is allowed to use, right? From a Deoraisa level, there's no reason you can't climb in this animal. For Rabbanan, who did Gazruba, but it's just by a rabbinic decree, right, that we don't use animals on Yom Tov, on Chag itself. But actually, you could use this animal. So therefore, according to Rabbi Meir, he agrees with the notion of what Rabbi Yehud is saying, right? It's not saying that he, here we have an interesting situation where sometimes when we have an interpretation that's based on Midrash Halacha, we'll go to the other Tana and be like, okay, well, what do they do with this Pasuk? It's not that Rabbi Meir disagrees with Rabbi Yehuda's interpretation. It's more that he's saying, yeah, on a Deoraisa level, you can use the animal. It's just that Deorabanan, we don't allow it. Now, the Gemara goes on to say, right? What if one uses an animal for a wall of the sukkah, right? The first case we talked about was you sort of built it on top of the sukkah, right? Rabbi Meir posel, Rabbi Yehudah In that case, it's the opposite. Here, Rabbi Meir would say it's kasul, and Rabbi Yehudah Rabbi Yehuda would say it's okay. Rabbi Meir, because Rabbi Meir would say anything that is animated, basically an animate object that's living, cannot be used for the wall of the sukkah. Below lechli lemavoy, and not, you know, for a side post for an alleyway, below pasin lebeirot, or it's for the boards that you would put around a well, right, to make it a reshus hayachid to draw water out. Below golel lekever, and also can't be used as a covering for a grave. Mishum Rabbi Yossi haglili, right, in the name of Rabbi Yossi haglili, we also would not write on it the the divorce decrees of uh, 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 of women. And we'll get, there's a much more interesting discussion tomorrow, Scott, uh, about this, which we'll get into tomorrow. My time at the Rabbi Mayer, what's the reason for Rabbi Mayer? So Abai gives a very easy reason for Rabbi Mayer, because the issue is what could happen? The reason why an animal is basically unfit to use as a partition for all of these areas is why? Because the animal could die. So then you would be left with a sukkah without a wall or a mavui without a lechi um, or a well without the board or something like that. Rabbi Zera has a different reason for this. Maybe it's more that the animal could just literally walk away, right? An animal can't really necessarily stay in one place. The peel kashur kuleyama lo pligi. Right. And so now they come up with this great example. And Anne, I was surprised you didn't want to read this because you always love elephants. Right. <laughs> so here they talk about a case where you establish a wall with a tied elephant. And everyone agrees that in that case, the sukkah is fit. Because if it dies, it's like, so in other words, presumably the animal sort of like falls over. The carcass is still going to be such a big animal the carcass is still going to be 10 tfachim high, right? Keep pluggy, right? Bepil sheino kashor. 
right? What they fight about is, all right, I'm sorry, and if it's tied, obviously it can't run away. What they argue about is the case of an elephant that is not tied down. For the one who says that we're worried that it's going to die, right? We don't worry about it because we just said that the nevela, the carcass of an elephant, even if it's in carcass form, an elephant, it's still going to be big enough to be considered to be uh, the, the wall of a sukkah or tall enough to be the, the lechi. Whereas other animals, when they fall down, they may not be ten tfachim, uh above the ground. But for the one who says we worry about the animal running away, we still worry about it. Why? Because the animal's not, the even this elephant is not tied down. It still could walk away. Again, this is totally boundary pushing. I don't think there were elephants wandering around Eretz Yisrael that people were using for their, um, you know, for their uh, sukkahs. And I think of all the sort of boundary pushing discussions that we've seen, this one to me has like the most absurdist quality to it, right? Like the idea of like tying up elephants and even if the elephant died, could it still be a kosher sukkah or could it not be, uh, could it not be a kosher sukkah? And so the Gemara is going to get into this, uh, you know, a little bit more, right? Uh, you know, sort of talking about the one who says it would die or the one who says that it would, that it would, um, uh, that it would run away, right? So it goes on to ask, for the one who says that it's a decree that we don't say it's kosher because it could die. Why aren't they worried about the fact that it could flee? So then they turn it around and they say, no, the case must be talking about an elephant that isn't, uh, that isn't tied down. Everybody agrees in that case, right? The reverse of what we just said. Rather, they argue about a case where the animal is tied down. For the one who says that maybe, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, you know, the, that maybe it's going to die. You are worried, right? Because even though it's going to die, we're talking about the non-elephant. We're talking about any other animal, right? That when it falls over, you know, when the carcass is on the ground, it's not going to be ten But in the case of other animals that are tied down, once it's tied down, we're not worried about the Gezerah Shamatibrach. It's more just an issue of Tamud. So very interesting. And again, to me, this just reads as totally, um, it, you know, it just reads as totally uh, absurdist. Um, but I just thought it was really just a great, uh, you, you know, just a, a, a great uh, discussion here. Um, and uh, so I wonder, I just, actually that, I just realized actually that the other halacha concept that I wanted to mention actually appears on tomorrow's staff. So I'm going to get to that tomorrow. Um, but I, I, I just, I really just read this passage because it's, to me, this is like the ultimate boundary pushing discussion in the Gemara itself. So I wonder, I feel like I have not, for all that, you know, back in Bracho, whatever, I might have gravitated to talk about the elephants for exactly this reason. Like why are there elephants in the Gemara? That does not even make sense. Except for that, I wonder if we looked up all of the different places and contexts that the elephant, elephants appear in the Gemara, I wonder if it's the same people or the same era or the same, you know, hailing from the same locations or something like that. And then, you know, did the circus, I'm being facetious here, but, you know, did the circus show up in Bavel and then suddenly they had all these examples of elephants that they wouldn't have had otherwise? How did Chazal even know about elephants? Right. Like, I, I don't know enough about how this kind of knowledge would have traveled if the animals themselves didn't travel. And if the animals themselves did travel, 
then it's less boundary pushing, right? The fact that an animal being part of a sukkah wall is a bit of a stretch, and I think, no matter what we say. Right. Even, I look, they obviously knew what elephants were, but this was not like a common domesticated animal. I just don't believe that it was. No, no, but, of course not. But so, right. so I keep trying to figure out what, under what circumstances would a person need to use, let's say, an ox, right? Which was more common, right? Or a sheep as part of their sukkah. And the only thing I can come up with is that if they were really, really living in very barren territory and they don't have any, I don't know, they have a house fire or something, they don't have any wood or whatever other fabric, I don't know, whatever else you might make a sukkah out of in that era, right? Meaning they're not making it out of plastic and they're not making it out of metal or something like that. So, so when we try to figure this out, what well, you need another wool. Let's just shove the animal in there to call us Yote. And it's certainly not going to work for a whole seven days, right? Because the animal still has to, I don't know, eat, drink, you know, whatever. Like an animal cannot be part of a sukkah for all that time. So I completely agree with you that it feels like a pushing, a boundary pushing question uh, topic. I'm wondering if there ever, if it ever happened as a crazy one-off, you know, that that then gave fodder to the, the boundary pushing question that might never have come up with otherwise, because really, would you really think of using an animal as part of your sukkah, let alone an elephant, but any animal? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's always what's fun about these discussions in the Gemara itself. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Ravanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.